0: it's may 30th 2022 and this is the watson weekly your essential e-commerce digest today on our show stripe launches new app marketplace what do recent earnings calls say about the state of the consumer ulta announces its own retail media network and beauty secondhand u.s market to reach 82 billion by 2026 and finally The Investor Minute, which contains three items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news Stripe launches new app marketplace. Last week, payments juggernaut Stripe launched its app marketplace. The company is valued at $95 billion, and the marketplace will provide access to apps and scripts from third party developers. Some examples include DocuSign, Zero, Signified, and MailChimp. This is savvy. Consumers getting refunds quickly and staff having access to refunds, chargebacks, and other payments-related functions quickly, and in apps that are integrated with their daily workflow, is a huge time saver for businesses of any size. Anyone who's ever worked in e-commerce operations know that you need one foot in your e-commerce platform back office and one foot in your payment processor's back office. All payments data, settlements, and other information simply do not flow through to these other platforms. This could eliminate that second foot altogether if apps and platforms take advantage of the flexibility offered by Stripe's App Store. And, at the same time, it could make it more difficult to choose an alternative payment provider than Stripe. That's another big win for the company. A few other notes I found. Unlike the Shopify or Apple App Stores, however, This marketplace does not provide payment rails for its app partners, which is ironic for a payments company, right? Literally, my first reaction to this news is, what do you mean Stripe doesn't already have an app store? Better late than never, I guess. And a bit of puzzling news on focus. Bowen Pan, the head of product for Stripe Apps, tried to provide more guidance saying apps on his marketplace can't just be quiz apps, they have to have real business functionality. Of course, that clarifies nothing. Real business functionality is about the most nebulous theme for an app store I've ever seen. Are they trying to compete with Google or Microsoft now? Things that are payment related, I understand, like fundraising, financing, fraud, etc. And there are some apps like that already. But even beyond payments, customer service seems like an important category for integration because customer service teams are often the ones handling refund escalations, which involve payment providers. In the short term, I expect the fact that Stripe itself is a big draw will get new apps in the store, but I would like to see more focus around apps that are actually integrated with Stripe for this to be impactful long-term. Our second story. What do recent earnings calls say about the state of the consumer? Well, we are through earnings season and everyone you meet at the supermarket is now a professional economist in their spare time. Here are a few things I pulled from recent retail earnings. Retail general merchandise like electronics and appliances seem like the biggest area under pressure. Prices are up and consumers are trying to budget. Categories related to gifting, travel, and experiences are definitely up as people are prioritizing getting back to normal after a long pandemic. As we head into the summer months, home improvement remains incredibly strong as both Home Depot and Lowe's had relatively good earnings. Patio furniture seems up at Walmart as well. Overall, the number of items consumers are purchasing are down, but average order values are up across many retailers. This is the effect of inflation. Your dollar doesn't go as far, but in categories where consumers have needs, they're tending to buy in bulk to stretch their dollars further. While everyone you meet is an armchair economist, of course, the reality is that no one knows what's going to happen next in this economy. But we do know a couple of things for sure that I thought I would leave you with for this segment. First, the downtown will end at some point. Nothing lasts forever. Second, absolutely no one knows if we're just getting started halfway through or we'll be in this for another year and a half. And finally, most importantly, your customers are still buying things. In this kind of environment, I always advise people to get back to basics, having actual real conversations with your customers about what they're buying and why, what replacement purchases they're making, and how they think about the priority of your type of product versus other spending priorities. Our third story. Ulta announces its own retail media network in beauty. Ulta, the leading specialty beauty retailer in the U.S., operates over 1,300 stores and claims 37 million rewards members. Retail media sites have been spreading up all over, obviously with the decline of usefulness of third-party data from Amazon to Walmart to Target to Instacart to Home Depot. But there are new entrants too, like GoPuff, Albertsons, Lowe's, Dollar Tree, and now Ulta. Which leads me to question, how many retail media sites will the market support? Overall, I have more questions than answers at this stage. How many platforms can have a brand or even an agency support in good conscience? Is the effort worth it? Will the category splintering of retail media sites lead to agency splintering as well, after the last few years of general agency consolidation? We have been traditionally calling each site its own retail media network, but perhaps we'll change that terminology since one website isn't really a network. Overall, beauty is an interesting category because there are many different types of people in the world and brands want to be able to target them in interesting ways. If I was an up-and-coming beauty brand, I would definitely be interested in this offering, which leads me to think that this kind of micro-targeting will continue to get more common. And our last story. Secondhand U.S. market to reach $82 by 2026. A recent Retail Dive article about the growth of the U.S. secondhand market got me thinking. While the stories in the past year or so have been about brands going direct with resale, it still seems to me that long-term dynamics of marketplaces are unchanged. With limited inventory supply and a singular audience, your returns on a brand direct resale program are only going to be so high, which further limits supply, which depresses your potential audience. Not to mention, unit economics on resale returns are not great at all. However, there's another opposite force at work, namely authenticity. In any sufficiently scaled brand, there is the risk of knockoffs. That risk, or even the perception of the risk, acts like a depressant on the price. Call it the eBay effect. Essentially, you may never know 100% if the product you're buying is always authentic, or who the seller is and how they got it, and that can lower the amount you'll be willing to pay for it. This doesn't mean that resale isn't a good idea for brands. Of course it is. In the future, I think most high-end brands will offer multi-conditioned sales. Isn't it better to keep that relationship with the buyer rather than cede it to a marketplace partner? And they may be able to get a premium for it because the buyer knows it's authorized. Brand experience is important. For the general shopper, however, there are other things at work, namely convenience. Going to a place focused on resale with a multi-brand portfolio that potentially already has your credit card on file gives you a reason to keep coming back. These are all the well-known benefits of marketplaces, and they aren't going anywhere either. The other side of the equation is the brand's purpose. Many brands like REI have sustainability at the core, and wanting to control how that is presented to the consumer makes all the sense in the world. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have three items on the menu today. First, W Marketplace, an e-commerce marketplace promoting women's businesses, has raised $1.4 million. Mission-driven, specific marketplaces can thrive if they dive deep into a particular niche and care more about the needs of their audience than larger marketplaces. It can also go sideways quickly if there is no real merchandise differentiation, however. Second, Karna is looking to raise up to $1 billion in a down round that could put it in the $30 billion valuation range. It's these types of companies that could have the most problems as they're forced to keep growing quickly. Let's say it's a $2 billion in 2022 revenue projection. That would put it as a 15 times revenue valuation, which is not completely unreasonable in normal circumstances. In these times though, who knows what it will result in? The company was previously valued at $46 billion just last year. And finally, shoppable video startup Firework raised $150 million in a funding round led by SoftBank. The company offers shoppable video and live stream technology to brands and the new funding values the company at $750 million. One more thing. I'm out of town for the next two weeks, but don't worry, Watsonians. I've lined up two very special interviews for you in the next two weeks, which will release on the next two Mondays, June 6th and June 13th. The digest format will return on Monday, June 20th. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our show is produced by Citizen Racecar. Alex Brower is producer and also wrote our theme music. The executive producer is David Hoffman. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommercecom Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.